Hi everyone, welcome back to the Little Green Pasture. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Boy, the older I get, the more I'm praising him. I just feel so blessed every morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And there is a growing heavenward. I know many of you experience that. And I love sharing the light that Christ has shined on me in the morning by his spirit before the light of the sun arises. Christ is our joy. He's my joy. He comes in the morning. You know, I want to just make this really such a time of fellowship. I know I can't be with you in person, but I could just picture people listening right now. And and so, like Paul says in Colossians 2, 5, though I cannot be with you bodily, I am with you in spirit, joy, beho joying and beholding your steadfastness in the Lord. And there will be a day where we'll all be joined together in heaven and there will be no part departing from one another. <clears throat> Excuse me, every once in a while I'm going to have to clear my throat because I'm still getting over this bad cold that I had. So, so today I just really want to just pour out of my belly rivers of living water in just a free form flow of things that I've been thinking of all day yesterday and and then this morning. And I truly pray that you are hungry and thirsty this morning because only those that are thirsty drink and only those that are hungry eat. Amen. So Father in heaven, I come before your presence with great joy. And I thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, there is another day that by your ordaining, I live. And because I live, you live, I live. I ask you to sanctify this message and to reveal yourself and let your sound be heard and not my voice. Oh, I'm just the conveyor belt of it. But I pray, Lord, make me a river bed and let your springs of living water flow forth to all your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So yesterday I was answering comments and I saw this one little comment. And I had been speaking about making yourself an offering into the Lord and everything you do as an offering to the Lord. <clears throat> and there was this one little comment. The person said, humility and meekness is hard to practice. And I realized that so many of us are in a different place with the Lord, but we're all on the same road, hopefully. And I really 
thought on those words. I, I answered her with certain words and I don't remember them exactly. So I'm not going to try to remember, but I thought about many people thinking that, that maybe not in terms of perhaps humility and weakness, but in trying to live up to something that they believe Jesus wants from them. And they just can never get it right. And so they follow on to know the Lord, but they do so with self-deprecation or maybe they had negative voices in their head from parents that were damaged people raising them. And so they were not given words of affirmation and love and they weren't valued. So they are all, so they take over when they grow up in the role of their parents upon themselves and telling them how they can never get things right, how they can never live up to this, or they could, they'll never grow up to be anything, or you'll be lucky if you be able to do this. And millions of people go through that every day, including God's people. And you know, those little words meant so much to me because I felt like as an older woman, I have such a mother's heart and it means so much to me, like even thinking about Deborah when she was called a mother in Israel. And I think that all of us older women and older men, we become in a sense, mothers and fathers to spiritual children and we love them, don't we? We have a special affection for them. Paul spoke about birthing children through the gospel and even being the nursing. He said, I, I, I took care of you like a nursing mother. And there was nothing feminine about him. It was as masculine as a man can be. But yet, <clears throat> it says in Isaiah 66, 13, he said, and I will comfort you. He's talking to Israel. In the millennial kingdom, he said, I will comfort you as a mother comforteth her only son. And that word comfort is two words that means made strong. So it's not just this feeling of comfort, and it is definitely a feeling. But I think what this world needs, it's a, it's a withstanding strength that is very certain from God. And he sees you. He sees us. He knows that so many of us are always stumbling. We're falling. We're trying to live up. And, you know, I'm just going to. I'm just going to let myself be so myself right now. And I am mostly all the time with you. But I just so want this to be a time where I just talk to you. You know, I always been recently saying to myself, and I know it's the Lord stirring me up and calling me to himself and stretching me towards himself. In other words, Joni, I don't want to hear what they said or what they did. Or I want to know, what do you say? What do you think? What, what do you want to get off your chest? You know, I gave up 
a long time ago trying to be perfect before the Lord. Because in the church system, everybody is looking at each other or they're looking at the pastor or they're looking at the worship service. They're looking at people who are leaders of this and they're leaders of that. And they sit in dark shadows the entire time and they never come forth because they determine in themselves, I don't have that speaking ability that she or he has. And I don't know the Bible like him. And it's so the, so it, it just makes me so like what, like I was explained to you yesterday or a couple days ago when I made my last video about how C.S. Lewis, when he lost his wife and he wrote that book and it wasn't supposed to be a book. It was just a journal of grief. Now he wrote down what it felt like when she was taken from his life how I personally loved that book, though it was so sad, but it showed the power of the human spirit going down into the deeps, into the depths where Christ is and how he comes out of it at the end. And, and he says these amazing words, how he comes out of that pit. He's like a man coming out of the grave himself. And there's a new morning. And the sun is shining on him. Just like Nebuchadnezzar when he when after seven years, it says, and then a day came that my understanding returned unto me. And I looked up and I praised the most high. And he was a changed man for the rest of his life. So was C.S. Lewis. And I think of C.S. Lewis when I read about the end of his life and there was no one like C.S. Lewis. There was other men through history, but there are people that study his works and make a whole college out of it I'm, because his, his writings are so deep. But he never got nearer to Christ than when his wife died, the love of his life. And all that knowledge all of that powerful, sharp, brilliant writer, a writer's mind that we're just in, in awe of, that didn't help him in those depths. Love was shattered. He was stripped down. The world became colorless. Like I said, he, he said he looked up at the sky. He said it's like her absence is like the sky spread out all over everything. And there's this love that is so potent. Nothing on earth can touch it. It even says a song of Solomon. It says, what shall I give for love? It says anything you give for love will be contemned. Because the kind of love that is beyond human expression is it, there you can't touch it nothing can be given to it it says oh thou love as strong as death i love another way they put it it's supposed to really say in hebrew thou love more strong than death and he spoke about trying to rip the heavens open to get to her and the whole thing was, why did you take her from me? And then at the very end, he said, 
when he finally came out of it, one of his very last words were when he was healed and he came out of that pit slowly and said, now I, he said all this time that I have been coming unto you, I've only been coming unto you because I know she's with you. And I all and I've been building a house of cards. And every time I have built a house of cards, he has come and he has smashed them down. And he will do that over and over again. Until I know. Until I knew. He said he did that over and over again with me until I knew that God cannot be used as a road nor to the means of an end. And he said, now I know that she is with him. And she is like a sword that the Lord has grasped the hilt and weighed the weapon, a right Jerusalem blade. You see, there is a love that is so incomprehensible that I'm trying to explain to you the best way I can that this love that was in him was really, it was for his wife, but it went, it spilled over and went to God. And before he died the week of his death, uh, one of his close friends who was a woman, she was visiting him and she said, that's great C.S. Lewis that we've all known and read his books was just a quiet man who lay in his bed and said to me, my mind is so tired. And he became quiet until Jesus took him home. You know, that word quiet has been meaning so much more to me. In keeping a quiet heart. But there's this religious world. Everybody's like trying to like they're in a race. They're trying to keep up. And I've been there. Stacks of books, this and that. But I'll tell you something. When push came to shove, nothing helped me. You know, a dear friend of mine, he told me after many, many long, long years of marriage, his wife divorced him. And he, in my mind, knowing him, probably one of the best apologists I've ever known. I mean, he remembers dates and stats, and that's his gift. But he told me, he said, you know, Joni, when my wife left me, all that, all the apologetics of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and this and that, and all these apologetics and in-depth studies, he said, did nothing for me. My life was shattered. And, you know, I felt like if I'm just going to put it into words, let me just say it now that it's it's so done. You know, the trying to keep up this tap dance, trying to learn this and learn that and learn this and learn that. You know what God wants? He wants us to stop doing that. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. And understand, you're talking to somebody who was always in a study-a-thon. And it was for a time. 
when I was young, when my, it can go into my mind. And, you know, I could still study if I want. I don't have the sharpness that I did. And I praise the Lord for it. And I look at this woman, this young woman, it says humility and meekness is hard to practice. And I said, no, it's not. It really isn't. You know, I spoke to somebody and I'm going to say why it wasn't because I was, and I'll talk to this about another person I spoke to. Uh, and I was explaining to her, it's, I asked her, I said, does a tree grow overnight? No. Do we expect, look at babies. Well, when they learn to walk, do we expect them to run? No. God is growing us up. He's teaching us moment by moment. And this religious system has made everybody so, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. I have to do more. There's so many people I know who are trying to cram 25, 30 years of character and experience, experiential wisdom into two years of being born again. But it doesn't work like that. Humility and meekness is not hard to practice. It really isn't. You know what it is? It's a moment by moment acquiescence to the will of God. And people get so afraid of the will of God. They're afraid that if they let go and let God have his total will, they're, they're afraid God's going to come and test them. But it's when I know I started to really let go. Remember, I, I don't know if any of you have been watching long enough, but I've been really going through something for very many years of my life, of fear of a future because I had such a radically hard life. And I was so ingrained of like, but if that happens, where would it lead? Where would I find myself? What would happen? And I, I was wrestling like, Joni, hasn't God done enough for you in your life? And it was such a wrestling, but you know what? I really cried out to God and I offered it up to him one day. I mean, I just offered it up to him. I yelled as much as I could out in my living room while people were sleeping. And I cried out just like Asa did when he joined Jehoshaphat in battle. He cried out, Lord, it is nothing for you, whether they be few or whether they be many or whether they have none at all. And the Lord discomfited and destroyed that, the enemies of that war. You know, I've been speaking a lot to you about offering. I spoke about the Levites who were, God took as an offering to give to Aaron and the priests as an offering. They were a gift to him. And he said, they will offer offerings they will be an offering unto you and they will offer offerings and you know it just so pierced my heart and i said lord you know i offer myself up to you but i always feel lord something enters in of myself i'm not going to give satan all the oh the enemy's attacking me the enemy's attacking me the enemy doesn't have to always attack you or me 
there's things in us that belong to us and we need to own it. And it's okay. It's when we fall down and say, Lord, like Jehoshaphat, who was a king, a great king of Judah. And the Lord heard that cry. That's all he said. It's nothing for you. And, you know, I do believe with all my heart that when Jesus says, for I have come to give life and to give life more abundantly. And it doesn't conflict with when he says in this life, you will have tribulation. I think when we come into acceptance of that, that when we continue to look to Jesus Christ and we realize that he became an offering for us. That we too can become offerings to God. That uh, when Paul says, uh, brethren, uh, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto the Lord. You know, he said, my body I give to the life of the, for the life of the world. And we're told to lay down our lives for the brethren. And it gets scary right there, right? Because I was like, well, what is that going to be expected of me to do? I don't have any gifts. And I'm impatient with people. And I don't like doing this. And I don't like doing that. And I'm kind of shy of that and shy of that. God didn't ask you all of that. He's not asking for qualifications. God is not asking you to be successful. Only faithful. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning and he was talking to me about the thief on the cross. And he said, you know, Joni, when I, cause he, we're talking about thief on the cross. And he says, you know, Joni, when I was a very little child, I was with my dad. And, um, he said my, I was with my dad and we went somewhere and we, he got out of the car and we, we got out and he had me stand over here and he said, now, don't be afraid. I'm just going to go over there and back a car up. I'm not leaving you. I'm just going to back a car up. Okay. But I'm, I'm not leaving you. And he said, Joni, I didn't understand. All I know is I saw him leave, walk away from me. And I started crying and crying because I didn't understand that he would come back for me. He said, I think of the thief on the cross. You know, in that moment when he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said, Joni, I picture this man in that feeling that I felt when I was that little boy being terrified of being left alone, being left alone. And not knowing what would happen to me. I believe that there's something in there when I think about how that thief looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me. Remember me when thou art when that come. He said, because, Joni, I just see that man saying, just looking at him. Can you imagine those eyes looking at Jesus? This man wasn't said, well, have you been baptized? So many people believe, well, you cannot be saved unless you be baptized. Well, then, you know, they say, well, baptized, baptism saves. No, the blood of Jesus Christ saves you. 
there are billions of people who made it through in history that were in situations that were never water baptized. It wasn't possible for them. They were killed before they had a chance. They died as young people. They were in prisons. All these circumstances, even medical. But I could just, with the way he described that child, that terror, that that baby-like terror, don't leave me, take me with you. And I wonder, has this present system of religion done this to the hearts of so many people that they cannot be at that? Like, and some people might say, yeah, well, Joe, we're not hanging on the cross about ready to die. And I say, how do you know whether your life is not going to be ended tonight or tomorrow? How do you know? You don't know. And that baby-like cry, like, Lord, save me. Save us, we perish. All these cries to God were not from learned men. They weren't from men who had everything memorized in the Torah. They were just common men who became like little babies. I think of that malefactor it says, which hanged and railed on him said, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. That's what he said. He wasn't even thinking about himself. So that shows that there was, there was something in that man that was transforming in him while he hung there. He said, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. No, I'm getting that wrong. It was the evil one that said that. But I noticed the one that asked him, remember me. See, something has to happen in each one of our lives that we we have to say for ourselves remember me lord and we can say to him now for you are in your kingdom in heaven this man was like a little baby crying to him lord remember me you know, God doesn't forget you. You may think you're being forgotten, but you're not. And, you know, I think about how Jesus's death on the cross, his resurrection and his coming out of that grave and letting everybody see him and then going to heaven in the sight of 500 people, 500 people who were chosen witnesses to see him ascend into heaven. And I think of the words of Amy Carmichael when she says, Beloved, let us love, Lord. What is love? And in a way, she's speaking as if he was speaking. And she says, love is that which inspired my life and led me to my cross 
and held me on my cross. Love is that which will make it thy joy to lay down thy life for thy brethren. And then she says of herself, Lord, evermore, give me this love. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after love, for they shall be filled. I like what Oswald Chambers says. He says the cross of Christ is a revelation. The cross of the saints is an experience. And that experience is played out in everything that is in your life. I was reading today in Psalm 17 where David prays to God to be saved from his enemies. And you could read it yourself, but he's he's talking about, Lord, I'm up in the middle of the night. You know me. You have you have proved my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me. You find nothing, and I purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men by the word of thy lips, I've kept me from the paths of the destroyer. And he's crying out to him, hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. And he goes on in this prayer. He's like, keep me as the apple that hit me. He's in the middle of the night. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night from something happening in your life? Where you got, there's no perfect words. You're like, Lord, you know me. And you see what's going on with me. But then he comforts itself, and at the end he says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And the young woman who said, Humility and meekness are hard to practice. I say, No. There are going to be some tests through it. But when you acquiesce to the will of God, when you say, yes, this is hard. And maybe I should have said that in the beginning because there are times, yes, it will be hard, I guess, you know, to be have a meek and humble spirit when you're in a hot mood. But you know something? Jesus knows all about those hot moods that we get into. He's not looking for us to be perfect, but everything in us has to die. Are we not called the sheep of his pasture? John chapter 10 says, I am the sheep, I'm, I'm, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep know me, they hear my voice. And sheep in those days, at some point or another, we're always being led to the altar for sacrifice. Jesus is that lamb of God. And we are his sheep. The sheep of the lamb. C.S. Lewis says, if I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He also said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought more of the next. And there is, there is, I can tell you from experience. 
there is a departure from this world that's too deep to put into words. You know, Jesus said three times, there was three times he used the word finish. Are you aware of that? Do you know that? At the woman, the woman at the well, after she left and went back to town, his disciples came and and he and they he they wondered, did somebody bring him any meat? He said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In John 17, before his death, <clears throat> that same week, days before, he's praying to the to his father, our father, and he says, Father, I have finished the work thou hast given me to do thine they were and thou gavest them unto me and thou hast kept them by thy name and when he hung on the cross this final words were what it is finished you know we 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 come through what i look at a spiritual land we're not always at the mountain. We're not always in hills. We're sometimes in deserts. We're sometimes walking for miles through thorny bushes and briars. Sometimes the chief shepherd comes around and says, I want you to lay down on the green grass and restore. I want your soul restored. Then you can walk again. And I look at that. I mean, and the Lord showed me that one day when I was young in the faith and I was just so digging into my Bible and reading it, reading it, reading it. I was so hungry for the Lord. And one day I heard him say to me, and I had this vision of this vast glory land. I did. I really did. And I saw this land and I saw myself like in a waking vision. I could see myself standing on a precipice and I'm looking out and I'm seeing like a map. I'm looking at a map, but I'm looking down at mountains. I'm looking at valleys. I'm looking at grassy green fields and dark forests and these all these different places and he said that is how my bible is he says it's a vast land of to explore and you you get to different I, i've experienced that you get to different precipices but you do go higher and higher and your eyes get clearer and clearer and you start realizing it's not on me I spoke to a friend of mine today and she said, sometimes, Joan, I'm just so insecure. And I'm like, I'm insecure, too. I said, and she said, I'm so impatient. And I said, yeah, but Christ is patient. Christ is patient. It's not on you to try to, to work up in a froth. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love her. I'm going to show this. I'm going to do this act of love. You know what? As much as you offer up those things in you that are impediments and that cause you to stumble or have gripped you, offer it up to the Lord. I was uh, listening to something yesterday where a woman was saying that there was a woman that came to her saying, I had such jealousy over my husband. I don't know what was wrong with me. I've always been so jealous. And even when he would be speaking to other women, which was just in my front of me, and they were nice women. There was nothing wrong with the women. But I burned with jealousy and I couldn't take it anymore. It was just it was eating me up. And one day I went down on my knees <clears throat> and I cried out to him, Lord, I offer unto you this jealousy. I offer to you the jealousy. I give it to you. And she said, just then the Lord took it 
and she went on with the rest of her life never being jealous again you know Jesus says unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it will remain alone but if it fall and it dies it shall produce a great abundance of fruit and we're always dying anyways aren't we in our natural bodies every day we're a day closer but should not we be dying also oh this body and the problems of it dying and you know out of death comes life for instance look at salmon I have a friend of mine who's a salmon fisherman she's one of the best I've ever seen and I know you're listening from what I understand the salmon sometimes they'll swim is from 1500 to 2000 miles sometimes upstream to the females will lay their eggs and then the male salmon will come and he'll cover them with that uh it's like a you know it's it, the, the the sperm it covers it and those little things wait to be born but the mother and the father the mother and father the male and female fish they die and they die right there in the water and remain there and when those salmon eggs begin to hatch it's the bodies of the mother the male and female that will produce nourishment to those new little fish so a lot of their death comes life and doesn't something always have to die so that we can eat meat vegetables cut down pluck, plucked from a tree many things give up their life well they don't give it up but their death provides life for us and christ's life provides life for you from his death so it's not on you i just want to encourage you right now that you can be at peace with Christ he's not demanding anything of you I want to say this in closing we all know about Peter we're well versed in Peter we know about what Peter did and how he was called and how Jesus said to him who do men say that I am and each one says some say this some say that but Peter says uh, but Jesus asks him, but who do you say that I am? He said, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the blessed. And he said, well, blessed art thou, Peter, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And yes, we know he denied him three times. Though he said, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, well, you're going to deny me three times. But we do know that later on he went to prison and to his death. 
but someone had to die. And it wasn't Peter. He didn't need Peter. He didn't need anybody. Because Jesus died. He chose to die. In fact, he was practicing his whole life. Remember when he said, Father, if there be another way, and there can be no other way, life comes out of death. And so as we die, his life comes out of us. Don't be afraid when you stumble and fall. You'll rise up again because your master will make you stand. He knows all about what you're afraid of. He knows why you're timid. He knows why everything. He is, after all, that great shepherd of the sheep. And he knows his own sheep. It says that when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall also receive a cloud of glory which shall not fade away. And what can fade away here must fade away. I want it to fade away. And I hope it fades away from you. The sooner the better. You know, it's not about accumulation of knowledge. Knowledge really does in the end just puff up. Like my friend, he said, all that knowledge didn't help me. But he cried like a baby. And God met him for the rest of his life. Yes, it is hard sometimes to walk in humility and meekness. But we who with unfailed faces, it says, do reflect the glory of the Lord, for he's changing us into his likeness. With From, from glory to glory, he's changing us and making us like a son because... It says that in Ephesians, it talks about us being God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has ordained for us to walk in before the world began. Whatever it is you're doing, like I'm always going to remind you, offer yourselves and don't watch yourself like I got to do it perfect and I got to do it right. You know why? Because every time you stumble, you learn not to do it again. So our falls are only making us stronger and stronger. Until like the Song of Solomon says, Now my neck is like a tower and my nose is straight like Lebanon. Because you mature. You mature, let yourself always fall into the arms of the Lord. It says, even in Song of Solomon, for his right arm embraced me and his left hand held me. You are loved with an everlasting love and underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen. Be at peace. Take a deep breath. 
and all of these religious things, heave them into the fire, let them burn up. They're just wood, hand stubble anyway. And love him, like Jesus said in closing, Peter, loveth thou, lovest thou me more than these? And he said, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said, feed my lambs. And he asked him two more times, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he asked him a third time, he was grieved. He said, Lord, you know I love thee. And he told him, well, there's going to be a day that you are going to die. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. And in that, in that, you know, he's telling him the way he was going to die. But you know what? He didn't answer back. But when that day came for him to die, he already died. He died a long time ago. You know, remember, it's Christ that died for you, that you will live. And when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, how much of the Torah do you know? I need to go over. Do you have a, uh, qualifications? I mean, after all, you did deny me. I'm just kind of concerned that maybe you'll do it again. And I don't know if I can trust you completely. I mean, I'll give you this chance, though. He didn't say that. He'll never say that to you or me. But the question echoes through eternity. Do you love me? That is the qualification. That is the work. And that is the will of God for your life. Is to love with the love of the Father. Amen. Lord, evermore, give me this love. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after love. For they shall be filled. And love is the most potent, powerful thing in the world because God is love and we are loved with the everlasting love of our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Shalom. Shalom to you in the fervent affection of Jesus Christ.